It's time for building the game, the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, September 25th, and you're listening to episode 591. As always, I am your host, Jason, here today, joined by game designer, Sabrina Salva. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Um, we, uh, you and I met, we were talking about this before we recorded super briefly, um, at, uh, Gen Con, uh, in a hallway, which as you do at Gen Con, many meetings in Gen Con are in a hallway. You gave me a super cool pin, uh, which I wore proudly, uh, for the, uh, for the duration of Gen Con. And now my daughter collects pins. So it is now on her pin board and she was very jazzed about it. So. I believe you, we exchanged pins and I got a building the game yes, pin as well. You did. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, how was uh, how was your Gen Con experience? It was great. It was my first time going, um, and mm-hmm. I believe they blew out records of attendance. Yeah. So it was very big, big time, big time. I was only there for two days, so it was a bit of a whirlwind for me. But it was great to be there and experience it. Uh, I did have a very full two days. Tried to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were you um, were you showing off diatoms uh, while you were there? I was. I was actually at the Indie Game Alliance booth, so I, I wasn't planning on going to Gen Con. So I didn't. Mm. I missed the deadline to get into the first exposure playtest hall, and then I thought, oh, I really should try to go there at least a little bit to see what it's like because I might be there with games next year, like actual product, and I am launching a Kickstarter soon. So I. I reached out, which is like, how could I get to Gen Con if I didn't, <laughs> if I let it go too late and uh, connected with IGA and was able to get uh, a good number of demo hours for the two days that I was there to have diatoms there. That's fantastic. That's fantastic to be able to do yeah. that there uh, on short notice. That's always really nice <laughs> to be able yeah, to pull it, that off. Yeah, they were fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And Gen Con, yeah, is always such a whirlwind and being there for that, I was... This year I was there for the whole time, but the year before I was there for, I think I counted about 50 hours was my whole turnaround time of being there. And and it is, it's just like lightning. Like it goes so fast. Yeah. I'm actually pretty new to the board game convention scene. The first one that I went to was PAX Unplugged last December. And then I went to Origins earlier this year and Gen Con. Uh, so I'm just kind of getting used to like what they're, what they're like and feeling them out. Yeah, yeah, and they all kind of have their own vibe, right? Uh, they're all a bit different. Will you be going back to PAX Unplugged this year? Absolutely. Yeah, I had a great time there last year, and I will, I've will. i already got my tickets, and I'm waiting for the Unpub tables to open. So, yeah, definitely. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we. Um, I, I, lo- I went there for the first time last year and just loved it. So I will be back every year, certainly this year, but every year, and we'll um, – uh, we'll be at the Unpub tables as well, um, myself and a few of us. So from the show, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, it should be a really good time. Well, hey, let's start off with um, let's start off. We're going to do this a little bit in reverse here because we're going to talk a lot about Diatoms, um, which uh, spoiler alert was in the uh, Cardboard Edison Award contest, and it it, it did all right uh, this year. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> Um, but, but we thought we'd just start, uh, with you telling us about the game and then, uh, and then we'll work backwards from there. Sure. So in diatoms, you are a Victorian naturalist who is collecting diatoms, which is single cell algae from water samples and arranging them onto a microscope slide into a beautiful mosaic, which is a real thing that people really do and did, uh, starting in the 1880s. And continuing to today, although a very small number of people and a, a real mosaic takes hundreds of hours to collect and put together. Uh, but in diatoms, you can do it in 30 to 40 minutes at game night. Uh, and that's that's the high level pitch of the game. Wow. That is so I didn't know what diatoms were or what the theme was. I've seen the game, uh, the prototype version of it, but I I had no idea that that was the theme. That's amazing. I love that so much. It, it is amazing. <laughs> and it wasn't, the game didn't start out 
as uh, themed around diatoms. So it started out as a more abstract game. And now when, when the game found its theme, one of my goals became just sharing this amazing thing. Because when I found out about it, I was just like, this is amazing. And it would be fantastic to have this game take, bring, elevate this and just make more people be aware of it. If I can start a little diatoms mini fad with the game, that will make me so happy. I think everyone should travel down the same sci art rabbit hole that I went down and just be delighted at its peculiar obscurity and fascinating history. Tell me a little bit more in depth about the about Diatoms, the, the gameplay of it. Diatoms is a tile placement pattern making game. So it is a, a tile game that you play on two fronts. There's a shared tableau where you're placing water tiles into a shared space and creating intersections of tiles. And based on those intersections, you collect diatom tiles and play them on your own player board. There's separate player boards, not like a central board? No, the boards are separate for each player. So everyone has kind of a zoomed in view of the center of a microscope slide. And that's where you're arranging your diatom tiles. And then there are hexagon tiles that represent the algae pond. And all of you are collectively sort of exploring the algae pond, looking for water samples and gathering from those water samples, specific diatoms with different shapes and colors and uh, patterns. Wow. That is like, and I mean this in a positive, that is like the weirdest theme I think I've ever heard of. Because um, it's just, it sounds like in an alternate Victorian world, like it doesn't sound real. And I love that it is. Exactly, right? Like it's not an alternate. It's a real history uh, that that really existed. That's so cool. That is so absolutely cool. Um, I love, I love tile placement. Um, and um yeah, yeah. So the the whole the whole game sounds sounds really interesting. What was the so you said it started off more abstract, correct? Yes. It from the beginning it was an abstract game where the the water tile part of the gameplay is actually very similar to how the game originally started, the very first prototype. But what you were doing with the results of placing those water tiles was very close to bingo. It was kind of like you were playing mm. bingo with with collecting um, uh, like fractions of colors with these these hexagon tiles. And I think when I made the very first prototype, I had some vague thought of, well, maybe you're making meals with different portions of food. Oh, I, yeah. I, so I had I had that thought. I, it never really coalesced, but the the gameplay was compelling. So I could I pretty quickly got to a game that was interesting and thinky and. Uh, chewy to play, but it just didn't have that special appeal uh, and and depth of experience that you get with a great right. theme. And it kind of sat there as an abstract game for a while. And then I, I had a chance encounter with a sign at an aquarium. And that led me to diatoms, which led me to an internet rabbit hole about diatoms and <laughs> diatom mosaics. And then I was like, this is the game. This is what the game has to be. And within a month of that, I had a prototype version of it. I changed the name and um, the rest is, you know, that it, that was very close to the game as it currently is. Although in that version, you were drawing the mosaics because I didn't, it was a lot easier to prototype that. Um, mm, and mm-hmm. it, right. it wasn't until December of last year at PAX Unplugged that I first played with the physical tiles. Okay, okay. And I, I do believe that was the version I saw. We didn't get to meet, but I do believe that I saw that version getting played um, at PAX Unplugged. You were playing with, with David and some others, I think, but I I could be with wrong. The, with the tiles. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, that's the only version I've taken to conventions. The playtesting I did with the drawing version was all done like, internally in my community here in Pittsburgh. Uh, and didn't it never when I when I when I went to PAX Unplugged, I had just produced the prototype with the physical tiles, and it was sort of my first test. And when I started playing it at PAX Unplugged, I was like, "This is definitely the version <laughs> that needs to be made because the pacing was so much better with the tactile with the with the pieces, mm-hmm. and there's a certain amount of um, asynchronous play." Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. that can happen when you have the physical tiles that isn't possible with the drawing. And so even though the drawing had some compelling, soothing aspects to it that I really liked, it, it didn't help the flow of the game. 
Right, right. Yeah. And those, I mean, that's certainly kind of competing odds, right? Like, I mean, like this feels good, but this is what the game has to have. Those are always tough choices to have to make when you're designing. At least they are for me. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 always a balance and a trade-off and it, it's kind of what is the experience you're going for on, on the whole, does this mechanic get you closer or not? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so after you had that pack, the version at PAX Unplugged and you were playing it, um, was that the point when you thought started thinking about Cardboard Edison? Because that was before Cardboard Edison, right? Yes, that yeah. was, I think, about two months before the deadline. Uh Yes, I had I had sort of in my head, oh, the, I had found out about the Cardboard Edison Award actually the previous year, and I thought, oh, it'd be nice someday to submit a game designed to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after I took diatoms to PAX Unplugged and had a great response there, I thought, oh, this this could be the game I should I should put it in and and see what happens. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and what happened with that game? <laughs> Well, my hope when I submitted it was to get on the finalist list because if you are finalist, you get listed on the webpage. And yeah, so that was, right. I had a thought that I wanted to try publishing myself and that to do that and that maybe mm-hmm. Diatoms would be the game because I thought it could potentially do well in crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have any kind of following or, you know, any, <laughs> I didn't have like, any social media presence really at that time. Uh, I didn't, I had only had a list of local families who were doing playtesting for me. It was relatively small. So I thought, well, at the very least I'll get feedback from people with industry from industry and that will be useful. And then maybe I can, maybe I can get on the finalist list and be listed on the webpage and that would be some publicity for the game and be really nice. Uh, I didn't at the time, I wasn't really thinking, oh, and I'll win first place. That was, <laughs> that was marvelous. But it, my, my hope was just to try to be good enough to try to get to that finalist list since uh, the, they live sort of in perpetuity to the, on the webpage. Right, right. Yeah, no, and that is, I mean, that is certainly a goal many others have had along those, you know, of hoping that they can get some good feedback and some good publicity out of it. Um, so what was the whole process like for you with that? You know, um, you get it prepared, you get it submitted. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess once you hit the, I mean, really after that, it's just kind of, they reach out to you about the finalist list and then... Yeah, you is it pretty much radio silence after that? I mean, you have to There's a question for you. So you did get feedback, right? When you got to the finalist list. Is that correct? Yeah, I think there I think I got feedback when I got to the finalist list and then I got more feedback after the completion of the entire award process. So did you um cuz I know, you know, some people um will, you know, the idea is that they may make changes and such in between getting um getting on you know the finalist list and then what they have to submit uh to them uh did you so did you not have to make changes were you happy with where it was at at that point i redid the rule book so i i did do a lot of updates to the instructions some of which was based off of their feedback i mean it was a, it's a multi-month process so i was continuing to do playtesting with the game. So I was trying to, <laughs> no matter what happened, I was going to do something with the game. So I was trying to improve it. So I, I definitely made changes in between the version that I showed in the, the submission video and the instructions I submitted with and, and the version that I mailed in as the prototype. But they weren't, they weren't really big changes to the game design. There were more uh, changes and improvements to sort of the support tutorialization, player aid structure around the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's, you know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, because the way, right, you know, the way for anybody who doesn't know the way the process works, we've talked about this on the show before, right, is you, you submit essentially a pitch, right? And then they take the pitch and the rule book that they think, they think are the best and they, they bring those in as the finalists. So, um, so yeah, to be able to get feedback on that and not feel like I have to make huge substantial changes to the game, that has got to be a relief. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, it, they, they did give, I think it was over, I think it was six weeks of time. So you definitely had time 
to make uh, changes to the game mm-hmm. uh, and prepare if you, needed to, yeah. if you needed to. And I also only had one physical prototype when uh, when it was accepted as a finalist. So I had to also manufacture <laughs> another prototype, uh, which I did was doing all the diatom tiles by hand, and it's it's a lot of a lot of handwork. Um, so yeah, that took yeah. a lot of time as well. Yeah, I pulled up the um, the cardboard Edison award site because I wanted to see the uh, the picture of it, and yeah. There's a lot of layers going on here within this cardboard and stuff. <laughs> You've got the slots on the board and then all these tiles. And there's how many tiles are in the game? 150 tiles. Wow. 150 diatom tiles. And right. at the time, I think there were 52 water tiles. Now there's only 34. Okay. And then four dual layer player boards mm-hmm. and then various other bits and bobs. Right, right. What's the... um? So, yeah. So that is... That, that that's a lot to have to make a second prototype of, right? Well, like, and oh, gosh. I, I wanted the diatom tiles to be shiny because diatoms have exterior cell walls made of silica. So they have this glass-like appearance. In fact, they have this, this mm. nickname, Jewels of the Sea. And so I want it, I want the tiles in the game to have uh to have that feel. And so I went with a shimmery foil effect. But for me to make them, I print them at home on a like a foil paper and I apply that to a chipboard and then I laser cut the chipboard and then I glue the two sides together so that the tiles are dual layer. So it's 300 pieces that are glued together into 150 tiles. That's a good thing you have the six weeks just to make that prototype then. <laughs> My goodness, that's a lot. Yeah, in retrospect, and I've made a bunch more versions too because uh, it's for content creators for the in preparation right. for the Kickstarter. So I right. think I've made seven or eight copies now. It's a lot of tiles. But, um, you know, it's a very satisfying prototype to have finished and it's mm, a, mm-hmm. a very, uh, um, time investment prototype to make. Yeah. Yeah. But it does. I mean, even in prototype form, it's, it's absolutely beautiful looking. Um, oh, thank so, you. yeah. So with, uh, so obviously, you know, as we're seeing, you're going to Kickstarter with this, um, what were, well, I guess first, what was your draw? Because, you know, most of the people, when they're like, I'm going to Kickstarter with the first game, right? Like, I'm going to do this myself. Um, this is not necessarily the game. Oh, my gosh. With, You're right? so right. <laughs> like, I, I made this card game, you know? It's got some dice in it. Oh, it's so, yeah. No, no. Literally, I have a card game with dice in it. It's called Unicorn Clinic. And the goal was that that would be the first game that I would uh, publish myself. Uh, and it just didn't come together. It had, it mm-hmm. still hasn't come together, even though I, it was, it feels like in some ways it's very close. Whereas Diatoms came together and I think was just sort of telling me, no, please make me. Um, and so I had to listen to it. Uh, you're right, though. This is not the game anyone would advise themselves or their their friend to make as the first game uh, that you're going to try to bring into production yourself. Right. I mean, just because obviously. So w- with that, I mean, what considerations did you put into, you know, that when you're like, I think I might want to do this myself. Let's see if I can be a finalist. Let's see what I can do with this. I mean, what what was kind of your thought process on all right, these are the things I have to be able to figure out how I can make work if I'm going to actually do this. Oh, I think they're the questions anyone who's kind of traveled down this road is aware (laughs) exist in in front of them. How are you going to get it manufactured? How are you going to choose a manufacturer? Um, How are you going to distribute it? And I've, I tried to listen to a lot of other people who've, um, you know, been there, done that. And mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I talked to a lot of manufacturers and got a lot of quotes and iterations of quotes and really uh, spent a lot of time. And I actually didn't even settle on, on some of those decisions until very recently. It was, it's been a long process. I'm, I'm a long time game designer. I've worked in games for a while, primarily in video games. Uh, and so the design process and the experience design process is super familiar to me. And I feel really comfortable in that space but I don't know anything. I don't know what I don't know about manufacturing. I mean, I know that I don't right, know a lot. Right. Um, that's what's exciting about it. I mean, it is, it's exciting to learn new things and to try new things. And um, so it's, it's not that that's, but it, it, it certainly is also stressful, but I'm just trying to maintain, you know, the next 
what's the next decision I can make and how can I make it? And if it turns mm-hmm. out not to be the right decision, well, hopefully I'll learn something. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that is a positive way to think about that. <laughs> um, so yeah, with the, how many different manufacturers did you talk to to try and figure out exactly you know, how to get this made and how, because this is the, this, this type of thing absolutely terrifies me. I have considered many times about self-publishing games. You know, there's some, I still have that consideration that I may do that, but all of them are, you know, a lot less complex than this. Right. So, I mean, what, when it came to working with manufacturers, um, I guess, how did you go about, you know, yeah, I, I just t- I guess just tell me about that process of looking at the different manufacturers, if you don't mind. I think at this point I've talked to ten manufacturers. Oh I've wow! Gotten quotes from seven manufacturers. There are a couple manufacturers that are just like, nope, we can't do it. I mean, I looked at could I get this done stateside in the in mm-hmm. the United States? Mm-hmm. Um, there's an appeal to that, or get it done in in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, in the EU, and. Those options just weren't possible with the components that I had. Right, right. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So those were kind of very quick dead ends. Uh, and then I talked to, obviously, a bunch of manufacturers in China, most of whom are quite you know, capable of producing a game like this. In the end, the game is a lot of chipboard um, right, and then right, some right. special finishes. So the, the actually, one of the major uh, pieces of back and forth has been the, the Petri dishes. So in the game, there are five Petri dishes that the diatoms are stored in. And Right, right. I wanted that because it supported the SciArt theme. Um, I actually, for a while, used the Petri dishes from Pandemic on the Brink, mm, uh, mm-hmm. and which, which key, the lids stay on when you pick those up. In a real-world Petri dish that you buy off the shelf, the lids are oversized and they don't stay on. And I didn't oh. want that in the box. Yeah, so that has been <laughs> that has been one of the trickier pieces to source a Petri dish-like container that would evoke the feeling of a Petri dish, but you could pick up and it would stay closed. It would sit in the box and stay closed. Uh, So that has been a tricky thing. Um, And then the rest of it, most of the places can do. So it's more just, you know, balancing the pricing and the quality Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. timing. The layered chipboard, because is that what that is uh, with the shapes? Is it layered chipboard? So you've got like the the in... The yeah, it's a dual inlays. layer yeah, chipboard, okay. but that that almost all the places I spoke with could do that. It was, and you know, there's a cost to it, of course, but it wasn't um, it wasn't an issue in terms of like finding a place that could do that. Right, right, which is so interesting to me because, like, when when I look at this game, this picture here, I'm like, well, petri dishes should be pretty easy to source, and right? that board looks hard <laughs> to make, and you're like, nope, petri dishes, pain in the butt. <laughs> no, the petri dishes in on the brink have special plastic like um, standy pieces inside the lid. If anybody has it, you can look at it, and, you, okay. and that that makes a friction fit. Um, and so you need something like that. So uh, I will say that I did have to. If you look at the video from Cardboard Edison and you look at the current prototype, you may notice that the player sideboards are larger. And the holes are further apart. I wanted the holes to be very, the, the slots for the diatoms to be a little bit closer together. But because of the way the punch out process works with the dual layer boards, there are certain tolerances that have to be respected oh, in right, the manufacturing right. process. Yeah. So it, it, I have had to change um, the a little bit, tweak the shapes of the diatoms, the shapes of the holes, how close the holes are to one another, just to, to make sure that it, it meets those needs. Right, that just for structural integrity, I would assume when they're making it. Yeah, when they punch out the top layer, you know that process. If the if the little ridges in between the slots are too thin, then you can end up with more, um, you know, more loss because things get damaged yeah. during that punch yeah. out process. And so, yeah, so it, it's a balance, and and there might still be a few more tweaks that need to be made as we go into production after the Kickstarter. That that is probably. You know, and everybody that I talked to said effectively the same thing in terms of tolerances. Uh, the diatom tiles are relatively small, and so there's a there's a tolerance in print drift as well for each printer, and so that's right, right. That's a thing that has been a discussion with manufacturers. So there's there's definitely, as you said, this is not the game that you would choose if you were just you know strategizing. If it was all just strategy, um, and it hasn't just been strategy for me this is just the game that i feel like i need to make and get into the world right and right. so i'm 
I'm trying to navigate it as best I can. I love it. I mean, I have all the respect for you in the world for for saying this is the game that needs to be made. I'm going to make it. I I love that. I mean, I'm the one who wimps out and I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. I think I'm just going to stick to this card game. <laughs> so, well, we'll see how it goes a yeah. year from now. <laughs> If I still feel like I made the right choice, but I, I right now I feel really excited and positive about uh, being able to get this game out there because it's had such a good reception in prototype form. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to being able to to have access to it for a wider audience. That's awesome. What did you do for um, when it? You said you sent copies out to content content creators. What was your strategy around that? for for marketing so i think i mentioned that i was sort of a social media noob i've gotten a lot Mm -hmm. better but i'm still still not really a thing that i would call myself a um yeah more than moderately successful at and i have to give a lot of credit to uh dina rams and dina said so studio i am working with her and her team I signed up with her in March and she uh, was able to give me a lot of um, guidance and advice and support in getting my um, Instagram account running constant content. They're helping, they've, they've been running ads for me and they also, you know, were able to connect me with a lot of content creators and um, help me navigate that. And together with them, we've, we've picked ones that felt like uh, good fits for both what the game is and, um, and just like getting a a diversity of different voices talking Mm -hmm, about the game. mm -hmm. And, and so we've, we've done what's, I guess, called traveling copies. So I made as many prototypes as I could make and we've mailed them to people and then people mail them onto someone else. And they just kind of travel around trying to get as much people, as many people as possible to make, uh, to see the game and be able to make some preview content to support it. Uh, it's all still a prototype version of the game. In fact, the the box that's been going around is also the prototype box. It's not the final box art, but um, it's it, it's a it's a working prototype. It works for for people for preview. So um, it, that that reception's been really nice too. Very cool. For the prototype art um, that I'm looking at here, is that um, where where is it? Is that is that the same as the final art or was that just art you, you pulled to start with and then it's been redone? Yeah. Um, for the most part, I've, d- I have done all the art in the prototype. Um, there's a little bit of some elements that come from, uh, Canva, which I highly recommend as a tool. If you're, if you want to make prototypes, hmm. uh, nicer. And, and if you have a Canva pro, then you get licensed to a lot of, um, you know, nice supportive art, but I did awesome. all, all the custom art for the diatoms, et cetera. Um, but I wanted, you know, it's, it was always kind of placeholder. I always wanted to bring in an artist to do something special with the box um, and with a couple other pieces in the game. And I'm very excited to say that I do have an artist. Uh, his name is Nimben Reuven. He's a lettering artist and illustrator based in New York City. And he did the box for Starry Night Sky, if you're familiar oh, with yeah. that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I saw that game... I was like, who did this art? Because this is, this is like what I think the box needs to be for diatoms. It, it, it needs to like have this spirit, the same, be like on the same spiritual place as this box. And I reached out to Nim and was like, would you be interested? And he said, yes. Uh, and I have a new box art, but because I'd already been doing ads with the the purple box and that's what was going out to content creators. This happened very late in, in the game. Like, okay, middle, okay, so, yeah. like I think, in June. Uh, and so wheels were already in motion for prototype copies. Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we stuck with the purple cover box, which is, it's fine. And it actually will be the interior. It'll be like the underskirt of the box. Um, but the cover I'm going to reveal during the Kickstarter, the new cover. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's it's gorgeous. Cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what an awesome thing that you did a lot of the art for the diatoms themselves, just because, I was just like, gosh, like to have all that, like looking so good. And then if that was, you know, borrowed art, right, then you've got this huge issue of now I have to, um, (laughs) now I have to figure out what to do that's going to have that same vibe, but not be the same. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when I submitted to Carbore Edison, I was kind of sensitive to submitting art that wasn't 
mine or that I didn't have proper license to. I, I wanted it even, to be. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I forgot about cardboard Edison, even though I'm literally looking at their page to look at your game. <laughs> but yes, for that, obviously that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that kind of pushed me. Uh, and I, I really enjoy the craftsmanship part of the game. And I, I think of the visuals as part of the experience. So for me as a designer, that's, I'm not like a illustrator, but I'm pretty handy with, with like, graphic layout and and I can I can get by so yeah that, that's a big part of what I enjoy about the process so it was it was enjoyable and fun for me to, to bring the game to a nice visual place and and to see that impact it it does make a difference in the experience as well for sure oh totally agree totally agree so you mentioned um if we could uh take a little uh, a turn here. You you mentioned that you worked previously uh, designing with video games, and uh, and I did had done some research, uh, so I was just curious what else you'd worked on. Um, I know listeners, you're probably like, "What you did research?" But I did, <laughs> um, and I came across uh, that you wrote a book about game design, and I was like, "Well, that's awesome!" Uh, and it looks like a really interesting book. Um, uh, could we, could we chat? So I, I, the topic of your book is something I'm super interested in. Uh, and had I known that you'd written this book, I would have probably like followed you at Gen Con around asking you questions, uh, <laughs> because I find this so interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, could you, could you, uh, tell us a little bit about that? Sure. The, the book is called the transformational framework in a process tool for uh, teams creating transformational games. Uh, so transformational games are games that are intended to change the player uh, in some way that extends beyond the game and is beyond entertainment. Um, so that could be behavior change, that could be um, a social change, that could be an educational game. There's lots of different terms that folks use uh, to describe that kind of a game or that kind of a purpose in game design. Um, but I try to I, I like the term transformational because it's very uh, open to different ways yeah. of, of thinking about transforming and changing players. And, and the book is really oriented around uh, game designers and game developers. And I wrote it while working in the game design and the game, sorry, the video game industry. Mm-hmm. And I working after working with teams on transformational games and, and really thinking we need best practices that are about um, a, really a pre-production into production process. That's not just focused on the game design, like, the experience and the mechanics, but also the transformational design, um, because we need to talk about that more. Because we, you know, we knew we we can do a lot of uh, familiar things about playtesting. Is the level working and our players having fun? But what if your goal is that the player learns something and they behave differently after the game ends? How are we playtesting that? How are we even deciding what that looks like? We're working with clients who haven't made a game before. How do we talk to them about the game design and the trade-offs that we're making so that we can re- reflect you know, their subject matter into the game, but also still respect the, the game experience, the player experience? So um, the game is, or sorry, the book is a... a amalgamation of the like the lessons that I learned working with teams. Um, and primarily I did that work with a company called Shell Games that's based here in Pittsburgh that does mm-hmm. a huge variety and diversity of, of game-related, mostly digital game experiences. But a lot of the games I worked on there were transformational games. Yeah. I, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the, the book is available as a free PDF at transformationalframework.com. So if anyone else is, if anyone out there is interested, I kind of wrote it from the perspective of this is what I would give to myself if I could go back in time five years or so and right. give myself some advice. So I, I offer it as a free PDF. You can purchase a print copy as well. If you do, I will send you that print copy. Uh, but the PDF is free if anyone is interested. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I, I checked it out. Um, what I find so interesting about this and this hit at the right time for me, because I, these are games that I've been interested in working on and have started working on. I've got one that I've been playtesting, another one that I'm working on. Um, and these are all like one shot RPGs or solo journaling games. Um, but I'm actually, uh, I'm actually in school right now to get my master's degree to become a licensed, uh, counselor. And, um, the first thing I'm working on right now is is having to determine what my research project will be. Um, and I'm framing it around 
you know, how games uh, can, you know, what, what kind of influence games can have uh, in connecting people specifically in teens. Um, and so I saw this book as I'm putting together my, um, uh, my uh, suggested research books to use. And I was like, well, I guess this is going to be one of them. Uh, so I was like, this is fantastic. Um, so it's just very exciting to me because uh, to actually like doing all this research, I'm having trouble finding the types of books that I'm looking for. And then I literally find like, I'm talking about board games, you're talking about video games, but the framework and everything is, you know, it's very similar. And so, yeah, that was very exciting to me to, to stumble upon that. Oh, that's fantastic. I, right? I, I, yeah, I love serendipitous uh, moments like this. So this has yeah. been my day. Yeah. So no, it was, uh, so yes, you, you will be 100% added to the <laughs> annotated bibliography I have to put together this week for her game, for uh, books I'm suggesting that I would use for this, uh, for this paper. So yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, you're, I, 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 like you said, I totally believe in the power of games to be mm-hmm. therapeutic and powerful experiences and just the idea of play as, as a way to process and understand the world around us. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you and your, in your journey. <laughs> to, Thanks. To, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, in the few play tests I've run of the first game I'm working on, um, which I pitched. Build the fire, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I pitched I last love week. The on pitch the show. of that, yeah, I, I heard it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, just click. You said you listened to last week's episode. Um, yeah. So, um, in that, the feedback on that has just been really good, and it and it has had an effect on people. So, um, and some of the other stuff is along the same line. Some of it's different, um, you know. So I'm, but I'm, I'm really jazzed about being able to work more on that sort of thing, and and hopefully incorporate that into the into the counseling that I'll be doing. You know, I'd like to over the next few years as I do my classes, get like a repertoire together of these different games that I can use for people in different situations. The one I'm working on right now is about imposter syndrome. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. So it was just like you said, it was very serendipitous to run into a person who's going to be on an episode who turns out wrote a book that's exactly what I'm looking for. Um, that That is, you know, outside of just being about game design. <laughs> Well, I hope you find it helpful. It's uh, it's it's very much like about the the pre production process and how to mm-hmm. ask those key questions when you're trying to do more with your game. So yeah, that's what it looked like. I I'm unfortunately reading like you know two to three hundred pages a week for my current classes, um, trying to keep up with stuff. So I, I was just able to you know give a little bit of a skim in the beginning, and I was like, oh yeah, this is I can't wait to dive into this. So I'm pretty pretty stoked about it. Uh, and I, yeah, like you said, uh, I hope that uh, you give the website. I hope that uh, other people go check that out uh, from our group and from our Discord. There's been interest in that kind of stuff. So, all right. So that was a good little side journey there. Um, has has any? I mean, I guess as a as a kind of a crossover question, has any of that bled through to diatoms with it being, you know? historically based um that that sort of thing i know it didn't start that way but oh no it started that way uh so we didn't talk about the deep origin story of diatoms oh oh now (laughs) now i'm very interested it's been full of twists and turns uh so so actually i started working on diatoms at the time well the the abstract version of diatoms was called fraxagon and it was one of a set of prototypes that i was creating from a grant to create a family board game um, that supported math identity. Uh, and that okay. grant was through Karina Initiatives, which has the Astra Fund, which mostly funds indie video games around the Thinky Games with the idea that supporting Thinky Game developers is one of the strategies to increase, um, to, you know, the next to raise up the next generation of, of math thinkers, you know, that Thinky Games that support sense, yeah. math skills. Yeah, so that's one of their main strategies. So they support indie developers working on Thinky Games. I was sort of a weird duck in that um, in that program that I'm working on a board game. They they typically just do digital games, uh, but so they they funded me for a year to work on a thinking math game for families. That one of those prototypes that I developed in that process was Fraxagon, which was this abstract version. I think if you you know if you saw it, you'd totally see it's um, the roots of it in diatoms, uh-huh. and then. 
and then I kind of got like to a, got so far with it and kind of got like stuck on mm-hmm, it, um, mm-hmm. what the theme might be, and then kind of fell into the diatoms theme. But the the whole idea behind Fraxagon came from talking to people about you know what's great about using math, uh, games in the classroom or using games informally to support math or just what emerges from playing board games that supports math identity. And one of the strong themes was spatial reasoning, which I I uh, was familiar with because of a, a few games that I'd worked on in my video game career, where also one of the goals was spatial reasoning because. Uh, there's some research that being better at sort of spatial reasoning, like being able to picture transformations in your head of if you rotated this or moved this here or flipped this, right, that, right. that is predictive of success uh, further down the road with math and more sustained interest in, um, uh, with math, engagement with math. And so spatial reasoning was one of the angles I was looking at for this, this game that I was uh, hoping to develop. And then the other thing that I secretly wanted to do was... Um, was something that related to fractions because when I talk to adults about their insecurities about math, <laughs> fractions was one of those things that just yeah, uh, yeah that really made people like oh this isn't for me. Uh, even simple fractions would just you know people were in some ways remembering their 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 elementary childhood and the struggle to understand that conceptually. So I wanted right. to play with spatial reasoning and fractions in a game. And it's and, and there are many spatial reasoning um, board games uh, out there. So it's not like that's, a, it wasn't a, it was definitely something that I thought was possible to do um, mm-hmm. within a board game. So it, the, the game has its roots in, in supporting math identity. I mean, the goal was a thinky fun family game that, that, you know, came from that angle of supporting uh, play with these concepts, spatial reasoning mm-hmm. and fractions. Uh, and then now, of course, I am very excited about also sparking interest in the science and historical elements of the game. Uh, I think that's, I think that, and, and then the art version of the game, the art angle as well, I think all of that just dovetails in really nicely. So I've tried to support it as I've, as I've pulled in those threads, I've <clears throat> tried to make sure that the game uh, continues to sort of like push you towards, or, you know, not, not push, it's not the right word, but pique your interest so that maybe you'll go and explore some of these other ideas. Right. That's fantastic. That so that is, wow. So it did have that sort of that, uh, I mean, gosh, it all, it all really does. Come Very much together. so. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of like my jam. That's where I come from. And what I, one of the things I like about games, I think pretty much all games, even ones not developed, you know, necessarily for learning or behavior change, because play is such a huge part of how we understand the world, it, 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 it games evoke that, that learning mindset of like being mm-hmm. open to trying things, you know, so I think it's a perfect match. And, and that's, that's how I got connected to Karina Fund, to the Korean Initiatives and the Astro Fund program. And yeah, it all, it all, again, I, I love serendipity. And this, the whole story of this game has been a sequence of serendipity that makes me feel like the universe wants this game to exist mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying it sort of tongue-in-cheek but it's also really really true uh, it has felt like this game needs to exist and so I'm I'm doing my best to live up to that call I love that I absolutely love that I was curious I pulled up pictures of actual diatoms because it occurred to me that they probably look so cool and you're right they really do um, they look so cool and yeah. it, it made me think that you know I'm a huge fan of reading Wikipedia. And the first thing, of course, that pulled up was Wikipedia. You've got to promise me that once you get this game published and out there uh, in like the uh, there's always that section at the bottom that's like in popular culture or something like that, that on the diatom page, you should totally get a link to your board game uh, because, you know, you've got a game about that. So I I think you should definitely do that. So I would love that. I don't know how to make that happen, but if anybody out there knows how to do that, let's make it happen. No idea. Uh, But there, I mean, like there are a lot of board games out there on, you know, with entries on Wikipedia. So you just absolutely have to make that happen. I love that idea. I accept the mission. (laughs) Um, yeah, gosh, I'm, I'm super excited about this game. I, I, um, the danger of hosting this podcast and talking to people about their games is that I end up buying a lot of games. Um, and this will be one of them for sure. I will be there to back this Kickstarter right away. Yes. Um, 
everything about this just clicks for uh, the type of thing that I really enjoy. Um, yeah. And I think it's, I think this is something like this is great for classroom education for the right age kids, you know, who it would click for. Um, gosh. Yeah. This is, this looks like so much fun. Um, so what are the, what are the details of the Kickstarter? Uh, it launches next Tuesday. So, well, I guess after this, it would be tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When this it, airs, it, September uh, 26th. Cool. Uh, yep. 11 a.m. I will be pushing the button and it runs through October 26th. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's, those are the deets. Um, and if you go to <laughs> Kickstarter and type in diatoms, I think there's only been one other project with diatoms in it. Um, on all of Kickstarter, so you should find it pretty easily. And um, you can also go to diatomsthegame.com. That's the game URL. And oh, nice, nice. From there, go to the Kickstarter or see other information about the game. Awesome, awesome. And can people, uh, if they're listening to this, because, you know, the show goes up on Monday, Sunday slash uh, Monday, uh, it looks like they should they can go out. Yep, I just pulled it up. I can tell the same thing. Remind me. And uh, yeah, it'll notify us on launch then. So uh, make sure to go out and do that. Um, yes, yeah. definitely yeah. do that. Because, um, yeah, because it, it looks like a lot of fun. And uh, you can also see the kind of the general picture there. Um, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Um, yeah. Anything else uh, around the game that we haven't uh, that we haven't hit that you'd like to chat about? I don't know. We got we got to like the deep origin story of the game, so uh, which I love. Tell me, uh, what are you doing for the the microscope? Uh, for the is that just going to be like is it chipboard uh, with like the circle where because it looks it looks like if I'm looking at the game correctly, you're placing the microscope on the water tiles to determine what diatoms you could draft based on color. Yeah, the lens, the lens. Um, that's what I call it in the game, the lens tool, which is like a little bit of like a, a loop. I think is maybe the the technical term. Okay. Um, and I, I've had some people like, oh, we should you should call it loop, but only it's only some people know what loop means. So I, I use the term right. lens. It is like a older handheld lens. You'd probably use, I think, you know, you'd use a, a microscope to look at diatoms. I think you need like a hundred magnification or something to see them. Uh, but uh, the lens sort of simulates that idea, and um, it serves because serves a couple purposes. It's the current player token. So if mm -hmm. the current player uses the lens, it really helps players when they start out to visualize their sample. And as yeah, players yeah. play more, they start to not need it. They can just see, you know, what they could just see, and that's great. That's what I want. I want that like mm -hmm. you know evolution mm -hmm. of spatial reasoning and spatial uh, the ability right, to. Right to sort of uh, project what 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 is there and, and see that. But the lens really helps with that focus. And then it's a bit of a role play element um, where you kind of, it's it's a really fun tactile piece to like lean in and kind of, yeah. so it, it, it does so much for the experience. Uh, initially I had, every player had their own and it was sort of, you had your own like themed uh, lens. But then when I moved to the tiles and the physical tiles it became it made sense to move to one and have that kind of help support the flow of who's the current player who's, who's taking samples from the the algae pond mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah well that makes a lot of sense and I, I love when you can have a token like that that you know feels like it serves a purpose i mean like like you said hey you play the game a few times you're probably not going to need it as much but i do love the idea that it feels like it pulls you into the game Rather than just being like, it's just a token, you know, that, you know, that uh, sits there on the board. So I, I like that. Yeah. You know, and a lot of a lot of games, a lot of people only play a game like a few times. So a thing that really helps to make that the your, your first couple of games flow really well. And it, even though it's not required for the game, it really makes an impact. It, mm -hmm. I, it felt really important to have that in the game. That's why it's it's stuck around and everyone in, loves it and people immediately want to pick it up and play with it. So right, it, it just right? draws people in. Yeah. 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 And I also the it looks like the rule book kind of looks like a journal type thing. Is that uh, am I looking at that correctly? There's a player aid that looks like a, a notebook. OK. Yeah. Yeah. And that that explains uh, that does the translation for you sort of explains like, oh, if your sample has this much of an algae colony that translates into this. Uh, shape 
diatom. And so that that's a player eight reference. And again, like once oh, players that... have played a full game, they don't use that. Right. Uh, but is it's that such shipboard? A... No, it's a card. Okay, okay. From the from the angle in the picture, I'm like, I thought it was a rule book, but then I'm like, oh no, it's not that thick. <laughs> I see. That's clever. I like that with the little red ribbon running down it. That is uh that's a nice touch. It looks good. Thanks. And that's not that's actually Nim has done the my artist is uh done an updated version of that, which so that will get that will get an update, but it will still feel like yeah, uh, yeah. a notebook. Yeah. That's very cool. I love it. Um excellent, excellent. Yeah. No, I'm I'm stoked about this. I hope the hope the uh, listeners all check it out uh and support it. Uh this this is the kind of game that that, that Kickstarter's for. Um I think Kickstarter serves a lot of purposes, but this is the type of game that I, I really want to see succeed on um yeah, on Kickstarter. Oh, thank you. I really I appreciate that. And yeah, I, I also feel like if there's a game that could do well that I can make, this this could be the one. But I have no idea what will happen next Tuesday. It'll be right, right. it'll be exciting or tomorrow. <laughs> right, right, right. My prediction is it's it's gonna go well. I think this is gonna be an attention grabbing game um that's gonna get a lot of positive buzz. I really think that. Crossing I, my fingers, you're right. <laughs> I have one last question. Where did uh, the name Ludo Liminal come from? Uh, well, Ludo is um, play, right? Um, right. And liminal as a word, I, I really like that sense of like being in between, mm-hmm. like uh, a liminal you know, space. It, yeah, that game. Game. It's a game, but not quite a game. Or it's mm-hmm. a game, but the point isn't necessarily that it's a game. Like playing with that, and so. For me, that's a big part of what the design process is like and what I find really interesting. Like I, I'm not mm-hmm. just yeah, so so that that's it cool. was a word that I that I that sort of described like my approach and what I thought about games that they're they're both games, but they're more than games. And so Right, right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's a good it's a good name. So it uh you don't forget it once you hear it, for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, I, I super appreciate you taking the time to come hang out with me and, and talk about this and talk about the whole process you went through to get here. Yeah, it was a, it was very enjoyable. Thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to. Happy to. Anytime. And uh, listeners, uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed this conversation we had. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff here. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can, of course, go to buildinggamepodcast.com. There you can find a link to our Discord Come check out our weekly meetups. Those are pretty awesome. Uh, you could also um, uh, email us at buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, to find diatoms, you can go to Kickstarter, search diatoms. It will be the first thing that comes up. I checked it myself. And uh, you can click that notify me on launch to find out about it. Or if it's after Tuesday or Tuesday or later, you can just you can just check it out and hopefully back it. Um, but I, listeners, I invite you, as always, to come back every single week. And until next time, good night. Good night. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.